Years ago, there was a talented worship leader who wrote a wildly popular song on healing. And as the song was gaining notoriety, he revealed that he was actually fighting cancer and that God gave him the words to this song. In one dramatic moment, he even came on stage with an oxygen mask and, and sang this song where the lyrics included, I believe you're my healer. I believe you're more than enough for me. I mean, can you imagine the power in this moment? Well, unfortunately, it was all a lie. This worship leader did not have cancer. And it all spiraled from there. And it was all said and done. He was no longer a worship leader. This ministry endured another scandal. And, and many felt betrayed by the law, by the lie of it. And it added to the cynicism. He tapped into a collective hope of humanity that we and our loved ones can be miraculously healed. The miracle of healing is so powerful for so many obvious reasons. I mean, how many of our prayers are cries for the healing of our loved ones? How many of our prayers include, Lord, heal their body, or, or Lord, if it be your will, heal their mind from this terrible mental illness, or Lord, may you bring healing to their soul? I mean, how many prayers have sincerely asked, Lord, would you heal this relationship? So many types of prayers for healing as we live in this broken, sinful, and tragic world. As difficult as it is, may we continue to pray for healing. May we not be dissuaded by the lies or the exaggerations or, or even the prayers that were not answered in the ways that we had hoped for. Today, as we continue in our kingdom series, we want to look at the beginnings of Jesus' miracles and his healing ministry and what it meant in the gospel of Mark and what it, what it might mean for us today. So to state it up front, the healings of Jesus are true, authentic, and miraculous. And there are countless imitations and frauds and failed attempts at trying to accomplish the real thing. So may it give us perspective that there are always imitations to the real thing. Let's look here in Mark as we see Jesus using miracles as an announcement for his kingdom. It reads, As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon Peter and Andrew. Simon, Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever and they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went to her took her hand and helped her up. The fever left her and she began to wait on them. That evening after the, the sunset, the people brought Jesus to all the sick and demon-possessed and the whole town gathered at the door and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Well, at first glance, Simon Peter's mother-in-law is in bed with a fever, and, and that does not sound that serious. Or does it? You see, in the ancient world, fevers are serious. Fevers can be one of the symptoms that eventually lead to death. Commentators explain that in the ancient world, fevers were also often connected to demonic forces because they were so serious and so powerful. Peter's mother-in-law is actually incapacitated, as you really understand the text. So when Jesus heals her, some suggest that this could be partially seen as a deliverance from spiritual oppression 
as well as a physical restoration of her body. One rabbinic tradition actually states that this miracle is even more impressive than the deliverance of the Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego miracle who were thrown in the fire but remained untouched because of the protection of God. The reasoning according to that tradition was that the fire or the fever from within is more deadly than the fire outside of you. If we read closely again in in verse 31, it says, Jesus took her hand and helped her up and the fever left her and she began to wait on them. That's right. As soon as she is healed, she begins to serve them. I mean, they could not give this dear woman a break. That's not what Mark is saying. In the Gospels, serving is kingdom action. And Jesus is always teaching his disciples to serve the other. This amazing woman, having been healed, demonstrates not only her physical wholeness, but now also her spiritual responsiveness to Jesus. And this is what Mark is showing us. Serving is a kingdom characteristic of true discipleship. That is one of the marks of discipleship, serving. And this is one of the lessons that we learn and glean from the beginning of Jesus' healing ministry. Let's continue. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you. And Jesus replied, Let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. That is why I've come. We can never forget the importance of prayer and solitude. And this is where Jesus models obedience for us, where where he reveals where his wisdom comes from. And it it seems where his empathy and his power are also renewed. It's, It's in prayer. So early in the morning, he sneaks off and he spends what seems like considerable time in prayer. Mark says that the disciples are, are looking for him, but, but the better translation is that they are hunting him down. That's what that word means. They are hunting him down. And he's there in the desert praying. And in the, de- in the desert around Capernaum, in Mark's Gospels, that is like the battleground between the divine and the demonic. There's temptation in the desert, but also in the solitary places, the presence of God is found. And that's where Jesus is spending a lot of his time. We also need to spend time in prayer and in solitude for similar similar reasons. Lent is coming up in just a couple of weeks, beginning on Ash Wednesday, February 14th. And we'll have a beautiful service here at the Lexington campus that everyone is invited to. I want to encourage you to think now about how you might prepare for those 45 days of Lent leading up to Easter. Here at Grace, we, we found over the years that It's over Lent that many of our folks tend to lean in to focus on their spiritual formation as in creating more space in their lives to spend with the Lord. Sometimes you might give up something for Lent as as part of a sacrifice, or or maybe you give up time, like waking up an hour earlier to, to read a devotional. This year, we are recommending this new Lent resource put out by our partners at World Relief called He Was There. I've had the opportunity to preview it. It's fantastic. And they're doing it as part of their 80th anniversary. It's available for free online. And if you prefer a physical copy, you can purchase one as well. Uh, But it's a wonderful way to support that ministry and also a way for us to nurture our souls. We're also launching some short-term Lent groups. 
And if you are interested in leading one or co-leading one or joining one, you can message us at groups.grace.org. And like every year, many of our ongoing life groups will be using our sermon study guides to track with our part two of the Kingdom Coming series. And so we invite those groups to consider meeting weekly or for four weeks of Lent. Whatever you decide to do, though, we encourage you to spend time with the Lord so that you might experience this closeness that we are reading about with God, among other beautiful, beautiful spiritual gifts. Continuing on, in Mark 1, it says, A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees. He said, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus was indignant. He reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said. Be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. But instead, the man went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. And as a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. And yet the people still came to him from everywhere. Did you catch all that? A leper begs Jesus to make him clean. Leprosy in the ancient world was a highly contagious skin disease, and when you were considered unclean, you were removed from the community, and you could not re-enter that community without becoming clean. And the way that you had to demonstrate that was that you had to show your healed body to the priest, and they would restore your entrance back into the community. The text says, Jesus was indignant. Why? At whom? At, at the leper? No, no. This is where it helps to have an understanding of ancient languages. The writer Mark is explaining how Jesus felt towards life-threatening diseases. And if you've ever been angry at diseases or, or if you've ever cursed cancer, then you have a sense of why Jesus was indignant and why he was angry. It's not at the leper. In fact, there is no rebuke for the leper. Mark tells us that Jesus immediately responds with his willingness and immediately heals him. And then he does give him the instruction, don't show off to anybody else except for the priest. And that man seems to only be half obedient to Jesus' instructions because he advertises all over town that he has just been healed. Such a, a rich text here. Jesus is using these miracles as a proclamation of the kingdom coming. In essence, Jesus is saying that the power in the kingdom of God is greater than the powers of this world. This power overcomes evil, it heals diseases, and it is the key to eternal life now and forever. Disease and suffering and death do not have the last word. It's through Jesus and his kingdom that you can experience life and salvation and ultimate healing. And so why does Jesus tell this man not to tell anyone? I mean, you think that he'd want the testimony and the free marketing, right? Well, Jesus knows that all the attention is coming soon anyway. What he desires at this beginning point in this ministry is to continue ministering in Capernaum. And as you read throughout the Gospels, whenever the crowds get too big, Jesus leaves them to avoid the building conflict with the religious authorities. This was a different take for a miracle worker of that time to employ. All the fake miracle workers in Jesus' day, they would exploit the opportunity for popularity and financial profit. And here, Jesus was doing the opposite. 
I recall a somewhat similar, somewhat different, uncomfortable scene that happened on a missions trip that I was on over 10 years ago. Over the years, I've shared about being a youth pastor, taking students on these trips that included going to an AIDS camp in the Bahamas. I know, Bahamas, nice. AIDS camp, no. It's one of the saddest places that I've ever been. I can still remember how awful it smelled as we got off the bus in the July heat as we made our way into the camp. I remember thinking, I don't know if we're ready for this. I don't know if I'm ready for this. We were one of a few groups that partnered with a new and wonderful missions organization who were creating long-term partnerships with whom they identified as the least of these. We were split up in various teams that rotated responsibilities throughout the week. So on day one, you may have been on the making a sidewalk team, which you know included mixing and laying cement for like eight hours. Day two, you were on the building cabins team where you were replacing flooring or building a porch. Then the following day, you were on the mercy team rotating where you would visit the various residents of that camp that you were serving. Often my students would say to me afterwards, I know my body is sore, my hands are all beat up, but spending that day listening to the residents of the camp was one of the hardest things I've ever done. We would listen to the stories of terrible diseases, many of whom were actually HIV positive. We hear stories of addiction and arrests, prison, prostitution, and the trail of broken relationships and broken marriages and children who have disowned them as parents. And so often they had no place to turn and they ended up at this AIDS camp that was started years ago, but then fell apart across leadership transitions. And so the plan was to have church youth groups like ours build this place back up. Well, I joined our students on one of these mercy days. And at one point during the day, we, we found ourselves at a man named Isaac's cabin. Isaac had lost his sight in his adolescence. And he was a charming guy, but he also told us that he was very manipulative, which is how he got into the situation. He told us before Jesus, he was desperate, he was alone, he was addicted. And now through this ministry with Jesus, well, he was now going one day at a time. Well, we finished our, our, our time with him and we prayed and we started saying our goodbyes for the day. And, and just then one of the staffers of the missions organization said, I would like to pray that God heals your blindness right now. Let's pray. Wait, what? She was a passionate young woman who came from a, a different Protestant tradition and, and she started praying loudly and passionately. And I was like, oh my goodness, what is happening? I closed my eyes, I, I extended my hands and, and I, I had my own prayer going like, Lord, may you be in this. I do believe that you have the power to heal and I don't know if I feel uncomfortable, suspicious of motive, or surprised. I don't know. I wish that you would heal Isaac and restore his sight too. And this prayer went on for a long time. And friends, by the time she said amen, I didn't know if Isaac would be healed or passed out of sleep. It was that long. And when she finished, she looked right into his eyes, inches from his face, and asked, Isaac, can you see me? And he said in his very low, gravelly voice, no. I'm still blind. Please don't ever do that again. And he got up and tried to walk away. Some of our students helped quietly escort him back to his room. And I stood there stunned and saddened and a little mad. They don't teach you how to respond to failed attempted healings in seminary. 
Later, when I caught up with the staff work and I asked her about it, she told me she wasn't here to watch teenagers mix cement. She was here to be part of God's miraculous work. And I listened for a while, and I did my best to encourage. The cement is to create safe sidewalks, so these residents, many of whom are wheelchair-bound, can go to the bathhouse and visit their neighbors and go to chapel and, and worship and grow on Sunday. For some of them, healing begins with knowing someone out there still cares about them here. May we see that in the kingdom of God, that Jesus is healing in seen and unseen ways at the AIDS camp, yes, and also in our own lives. Can you handle another story? In my first church, we had a, a prayer and healing service uh, a few times a year. And when I first heard about this, I, I was a bit uncomfortable uh, because all I had really ever seen with healing services, what, what was on TV with the guys with the expensive ties and the hair and the hair pieces and the yelling and the screaming and the songs and the touching and the fainting. And that's probably a lot that could be said about all that, but no further commentary except I did not sign up for that. So when they said they were going to give me a, a prayer station, a prayer healing station, I was going to ask if I could sit that one out. Well, what we did was at the end of a service, there would be a song or two, and people would just get in line, and, and various pastors and elders would pray over those who came forward. And it wasn't what you saw on TV. Some had received a tough diagnosis, or some were, were praying for a strained relationship throughout their life with a family member, and they, they wanted healing. Well, one of my favorite members of that time, his name was Bill, and Bill had been fighting prostate cancer. And I, I hated that part of his story because he had chosen to retire early from his corporate job as soon as he found out that his daughter and son-in-law were, were about to have their first about to have a child, making Bill a, a first-time grandfather. And they lived in this nice house and they owned horses. And him and his wife dreamt that they would teach their grandchildren horseback riding. And they were living in Bucks County, PA. It was like a postcard. Until he got the news that he, he got this aggressive form of cancer and it all unraveled from there. When he got in line, he was in between treatments. And I promise you, I, I prayed for everyone as hard as I could. And I, I knew Bill well, and he was a big encourager to me. And I, I prayed and I laid one hand on his chest and the other outstretched. And I said, amen. And we nodded to each other. And the next, the next person came forward in line. The next week, Bill found me in the lobby, and he said, I think I need to tell you something. He continued, I, I, I felt something when you prayed for me last week. My, my eyes were asking, what? And Bill said, I, I felt a strange rumbling in my stomach and throughout my body. I didn't know what to say, and so I reverted to what I knew, humor. I told him, Bill, you really need to watch out for that church coffee. It will mess you up. He chuckled, and he said, I, I don't think that's it. And then a few months went by, and he went to his oncology appointment. And then that following Sunday, he practically burst through the front door of the church, yelling, my cancer is gone. Later, we would speak a little bit more privately, and he would tell me, I believe I was healed by you that day. The look in my eyes showed my own disbelief. He explained, I wasn't getting any treatments. That was what I did. That was it. Well, praise God. 
I don't know what's going on, but praise God. I was still in my mid-20s. I, I knew at that point in my life that I wasn't a miracle worker. But I was also moved beyond my comprehension that God might use me as an instrument of his healing. And I just kept thinking about it. Well, sadly, about a year later, Bill's cancer came back very aggressively. And by then, his granddaughter was about two years old. And one of the last things that he said to me was, these last two years contain more life than the last 10. And while he was dying in his early 60s, he, he said he was looking forward to meeting his Savior. And all of that had been quite a journey for him. As for a good portion of his adulthood, he was a skeptic. And then later, what, what he would say was he became a nominal believer until his late 50s, where, where then he trusted Jesus fully. <laughs> There's a part of me that wishes everyone got 85 plus years, or at least 75 really good ones. I wish everybody got a healing that, that took them there. But healing, seen and unseen, Bill would tell you and me that God had temporarily healed him of his cancer. That was an answer to prayer. That let him know that God was listening. And even more, his faith and perspective changed and deepened in ways that he never thought possible. Friends, in the kingdom of God, Jesus is healing in seen and unseen ways. And T. Wright writes, Part of the hope the Christian faith offers is the knowledge that God will not allow injustice to be the last word. That is a central element in the good news of the gospel. When we say injustice, we mean everything that is broken in this world, everything that is messed up and screwed up. Jesus will make all things right eventually. That's our ultimate hope. It's difficult to appreciate the unseen work of God, isn't it? Human tendency is, is to make it up or, or, or to exaggerate. You know who exaggerates? Religious people. You know who exaggerates a lot? Pastors. You know who here at Grace Chapel has the gift of exaggeration? Is it Pastor Brian? Is it, isn't it about time that I, I make a joke at his expense, right? Someone told me recently, you only tease about Brian, why not the other pastors? That's a great point. All you have to do is ask. When it comes to exaggerators, it is a two-way tie between the, those who have the gift of exaggeration here at Grace. It's Pastor Richard Rhodes and tied with Pastor Tom Van Antwerp. I'm telling you, and I've made this joke before, I know, but if Richard walks into a room with 20 people and 30 empty chairs, he comes out of that room saying, there must have been 80 people in there, praise God. If Tom Van Answer walks into that same room, after hearing Richard tell him that, that there was 80 people in there, Tom starts counting at 80. Well, and then he starts adding, I, I think there were a few folks who were planning on coming to this event, but they didn't get here. Let's count them anyway. 200 people must have been there. If somebody got up, to go to the bathroom or to make a phone call, they would say, oh man, like people were like just walking all over the place looking for chairs. It was just crazy, it was nuts in there. Look, you can trust these wonderful men with your souls, but if you need help filling out your taxes, don't ask them. You will get audited. They can't count. 
and you will probably end up going to jail. Now, truth be told, these are my friends, and they are brilliant and amazing, God-fearing people. And I hope that you can see that I'm exaggerating their exaggerations, possibly making me the worst out of all of them. These are just silly jokes in an intense sermon, just to bring some levity. But I do want to bring up this challenge. Let us be careful with our words when it comes to the miraculous works of God. Let's be careful that when it comes to things like healing and miracles, that we do not exaggerate when it comes to Jesus' healing. Christians have stretched the truth or worse, and that has led to scandal, it has added cynicism, and it is compounding the hurt. Let us not be a part of that. Jesus does not need us to add lore or to stretch the truth for his sake. And I would caution that more or less fabricating what God is doing is using the Lord's name in vain and could possibly lead to blasphemy. So instead, let us speak the truth. I say all this because it's complicated, right? Whenever we talk about the miraculous or the healing, it's complicated. I want to unpack that a little bit more. When we were first drafting up this series, I, I saw all the topics that were listed, and, and I knew I didn't want this sermon. And we were in the process of actually scheduling other preachers whose wisdom and experience could speak better into this. But schedules did not permit, and eventually the sermon fell to me, at which point, of course, I was honored to preach. And if you preach here at Grace, you, you get the best coaching possible from, from people like Pastor Brian Wilkerson. And amongst the lessons that he coaches you through is make every sermon personal to you. Every sermon has to be true for you so they can be true for those who are listening. Well, the reason for my initial hesitation is that my prayers for healing feel like they've been coming up short lately. You only remember the losses, right? You especially remember the unanswered prayers. Maybe you can relate to that. Prayer lists are, are rather long. I'm sure you can relate. But among the prayers that I've been praying almost nonstop throughout 2023 and now into this new year were two young women going through stage four breast cancer. One is my cousin, Lisa. <laughs> you would love Lisa. Just a sweet, wonderful person. She works in pharmaceuticals. Her husband is a doctor. They, they live in Florida with two wonderful children. And as successful as they are, they, they believe they are doing ministry by doing their part to heal people with medicine and compassion. I don't want anyone to ever get diagnosed with a potential terminal illness, but it makes even less sense when the best amongst us get such a diagnosis. If you have room on your prayer list, would, would you add Lisa Galley to it? That side of the family spells Galley with a Y. Other than that, they're perfect. She and her son, Luke, came to, a, to visit Boston the other week, and she had a consultation with Dana-Farber to see if she would qualify for any of their experimental treatments. And it looks like she does. And she'll be flying back up, God willing, in, in late February, early March. And I suspect that, that she'll pop in for a Sunday here. But as I was praying for her, almost in the very next breath, I was praying also for, for Allie Rose Sweet. And her maiden name is Allie Franks. She, along with her twin sister, Vicki Barclay, and their two older brothers, 
grew up in this church and they were raised by some of Grace Chapel's most faithful members, Glenn and Barbara Franks. They've been members here for decades. Glenn's probably been here for 40 years. And as many of you know, Allie went home to be with the Lord just a couple of weeks ago after a year-long battle with breast cancer, leaving behind three little children and her amazing husband, Danny. Allie's story is one that would take its own sermon to do justice to. But this last year was one of the hardest years I've ever seen anyone ever go through. She suffered allergic reactions to chemotherapy, sudden faintings, COVID, and countless other complications in addition to all the cancer treatments. There was was a loud part of me and and many of us who, who kept praying and saying, God, God is not answering this prayer. How much more can one person take? Again, if if we were in charge, this brilliant, funny young woman, woman would get at least 75 years. Her loss is profoundly tragic. And at the same time, in the midst of tragedy, Jesus was still at work in seen and unseen ways, healing wounds in and around her soul while her body broke down. On the night that she passed, with her husband and twin sister by her side and her parents surrounding, she started to say that that she could see into the next place, as if if she was looking into heaven itself. She said she could see loved ones that had passed prior and, and one very special person was waiting for her. It's not my story to tell, so I'll leave it at that, but it reminded all of us of Pastor Brian's Christmas Eve message where We have these thin spaces in life where heaven and earth intersect, where the divine transcends the present reality. And what she saw gave her peace to pass, which brought peace to her family. I caution you by the conviction and the testimony of her family not to dismiss this as a hallucination, but perhaps as part of the healing that Jesus was doing in their midst. Among the lessons that I've learned is don't just see with your eyes because Jesus is healing in ways that cannot be seen with just the human eye. And it takes faith to see that. Jesus is not just healing fevers. He's not just healing skin diseases. So much more is happening, seen and unseen. Jesus is delivering us from evil. He's restoring our humanity. He's healing us in ways that transcend merely the physical. And so today, friends, I invite you to invite Jesus to work in your soul, to work miracles that need no exaggeration. And may you always remember that in the kingdom of God, Jesus is healing in seen and unseen ways. Let's pray. Lord, once again, we thank you for your scriptures. We thank you for showing us how you heal We thank you, Lord, for illuminating our hearts and souls and and all the ways that you do through Scripture and and as we see you working in the lives of others. I lift up to you, Lord, those who are going through really difficult circumstances right now. I pray, Lord, that you would give them to eyes to see what you are at work doing and that you would also give them the faith to see what they can't see. And so, Lord, may you touch them, may you heal, and may you work. It's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.